All right, man. Tonight on the show, uh, we got um, a buddy of mine, Dustin Williams, and uh, he's from Perry, Florida. And uh, so far to date, uh, we'll be talking about uh, coyote hunting and coyotes. Uh, he is so far to date, since January 1st, he's uh, taken 144 of them off the market. And uh, we kind of talked about earlier what we some things we were going to talk about, and he kind of felt like... Uh, you know, knowing the life cycle of a coyote is a uh, is a lot of is important that a lot of us kind of overlook when we start coyote hunting. We we think about too many other things. So uh, he's going to kind of brush on that a little bit tonight, and uh, we're here to kind of educate and uh, and and entertain. But uh, so here he is, and he's already on the line. So go ahead and uh, kind of introduce yourself, Dustin. Thanks, Rob, for uh, for having me uh, do this and. Uh you know, Dustin Williams, I'm from Perry, Florida. Um, I've been coyote hunting now for about five years. I run uh, Assassins in the Dark uh, Coyote and uh, Hog Control up here out of Perry. We currently uh, manage close to around 140,000 acres in 12 counties and some in South Georgia. Um, one thing that I feel like is a very big part of our success is knowing the life cycle of a coyote and knowing what he's doing at certain times of the year. Um, that way we know what calls to play, um, what what sounds are going to work best that time of the year. Um, I'm, I'm very big on coyote vocals and, and distress also. Um, I feel like using them together with uh, diaphragm calls and hand calls make, makes a big difference. So the the life cycle of a coyote in my areas that I hunt, you will we'll start with the beginning of the year, which you'll start with breeding season in January. Um, our coyotes here, they'll start early as mid-December. I've seen breeding activity. And it usually goes into the end of March, some, I'm, the end of February, some into the first of March. Um, just depends on the you know, the coyote. And then, that, to me, that is one of the very best times to, to hunt coyotes because they're, they're aggressive, they're vocal, they come in flying, they're mad, wanting to fight. Um, and then, after that, you have denning season, which your gypsy make a den site, and, and they get real hush-hush, and they don't move very much. And, and that time's going to run from you, you know, depending on when the jip is bred, she has a gestation period of 63 days, like a dog. So, but the main time will be from March till about the middle of May. And then your pups are, will start coming out of the dens, um, you know, July. Around the 1st of July, we'll start seeing some pups signs start coming out. And, and then you, you'll have your pups coming out. From July to the end of August, September, they're they're really starting to get out to hunt this time of the year right now. Um, just um, Thursday night, I actually went and made a set and uh, called in uh, a pack of six. Um, but these pups now was all born. Uh, I would say they was probably born into January, so you know that they, they was bred a little earlier than normal. But out of those six, we did manage to kill five of them, and then. Uh, you, you'll go right on into 
pup dispersal will start about October, and that's when hunting does start getting fun because you got pups that start. Mom and dads kick them out of the den. You know they they're on their own. Uh, they will uh, they'll get vocal, and they'll the, you know that time of year distress sounds go to working pretty good because they, they're hungry and they're curious. So you you'll have that pup dispersal in October. And that, that's going to roll on, you know, right on into November, the cooler months. And obviously, all hunting gets better when it's cooler. And, you know, then, then you'll start that cycle back over. And um, in January, you know, of, of breeding season. And, and breeding season um, is, is, a, is a great time for vocals. Um, estrus chirps and... Um, that's when some challenge howls come in good, fight sound. Um, I, I really like those. And then, you know, during denning season, back to your March to May, um, that's a very hard time to kill a coyote. They don't travel very far. Uh, if you're going to kill them, you got to get right on top of them. And, and so I, I don't hunt near as much as that time of the year. But we, we do hunt. We still do kill a few, but it is very tough at that time. And then we, you know, you have uh, from from that July time frame to now, your, your pups when they first start get coming out, you know, they'll get vocal, but they don't they don't travel far from the den, far from mom. Um, and some of your older pups right now. Um, as I stated on Thursday, you know, we, we called some in and they're, they're getting a little bigger. They're getting very curious and you can kill some good numbers right now because they're curious. They don't know what gunshots are. They, that it, it, it'll be their dumber time of the year of their life. And after that, they get, you know, they go to get smarter by the day of what to avoid and what not to. Okay. So, uh, what, what, um, I guess we'll just to begin with the pups. Whenever they start getting curious, would you say they pretty much come to any sound, or they're, uh, or, or where they seem to be piques their curiosity? What type of sound? Uh, it, it, you know, it, it just depends. You know, if if I start a night out and I'm hearing coyotes and they're being vocal, um, I, I'll start the night with the vocals. I, I mean, that's you know, it's like turkey hunting. Um, the be- the funnest time to kill a gobbler is when he's gobbling. So I, I like to hear the coyotes, and-, and that's what's exciting to me. But if they're not if they're not being vocal, um, you know, I run a vocal set, and I don't hear nothing, don't see nothing. I might switch, run a distress set after that, and, and sometimes that works. But I'll usually always close my sets with some type of up fight sound, a fight sound. Um, so and then my next set, if I run vocals before and I didn't, I, I had a blank set or a dry set. The very next set, I'll start with a distress set. I'll run distress for a little while, and I'll usually run something like a high pitch distress, and then a a, a more coarse or lower pitch distress, and, and try to find out what's going to pique their interest. Um, and then sometimes hand calls or diaphragm powers will be the ticket. Um, I, I, I never hunt without a diaphragm call. So I, I always have one of those in my mouth and I can you know, bark, howl, run pup stress, and, and I lip squeak a lot of coyotes in. 
Uh, do you still run an electronic call too, though? Yeah, yes, I still run a Fox Pro CS24. Okay. Um, you know, I, I use it in conjunction with with my my diaphragm calls, and, and I, I play them off of each other. And when, when coyotes are being tough and they're not being vocal, or even when they are being vocal and they're they're wanting to hang up and not come rolling in hard, I uh, you know I try to paint him a picture of something that's going on. That is, uh, that's going to pique his interest. Because when it comes down to it, curiosity kills the coyote. Right. Right. And you primarily still hunt at night or you did, um, or you rarely? I, I primarily, day. I primarily hunt at night. Um, that's, uh, that's what my time allows. Uh, with, with my day job, um, daytime hunting coyotes is, you know, it's, it's a blast. Getting woods, do it with a shotgun. Shooting coyotes 10 and 20 yards is, is a blast. Um, you know, if you're going to do that, I do recommend uh, locating them at night, knowing where they're at, um, and, and getting in close on them. Um, a lot of times I hunt very very um, aggressive. You know, I, if, if, they're, if they're a long ways from me, I, I'll, try to, I'll try to cut the distance in half. Well, a buddy at work today, I told him we were going to do this, and he asked me, he said, well, could you ask Duskin, Dustin a, a question for me? And it's like maybe what may have been some of his biggest problems and mistakes that he made when he was first starting out, and maybe that would reflect on this guy because he's trying to get into it, and he's just trying to kind of trying to find out where the pit the pitfalls are on it. You know what I mean? I, I think some of the biggest mistakes one was not not – fully understanding what I was trying to hunt. Once I really started paying attention to the coyote's life cycle, what he does, um, you know, that, that helped a lot. It helped, under, you know, a little bit of understanding what you're hunting. Um, scouting. Daylight scouting is is huge. I've got where I don't hunt very many properties at all unless I, if I'm going to hunt it on Friday night, I'll spend the two hours before dark, three hours before dark, depending on the property size, of scouting the property, finding, you know, if you're, if you're hunting over crops, what crops can I see over, what crops can I see in, um, looking for coyote sign, talking to the landowners, you know, I want all the information I can get on them. And then, you know, that helps you not make so many blank sets because there's no sense to go to a field to hunt if there's no coyote sign there. Right. So... You, you want to make your be effective in, in knowing where the coyote is or where you think they might be versus where they're not. Right, right. Uh, any other kind of things that you made real big, big mistakes on when you first started out looking back and say, man, why did I do that? Yeah, uh, you know, wind, the wind is, is key, you know, uh, overcalling. Um, playing playing certain sounds too loud or you know just not knowing how to read a coyote's body language uh, a coyote will be coming in and he stops and you know uh, you go oh man he's, he's busted us I need to shoot him and you, you pop the shot and when you shouldn't have when he's really just checked up to see where the sound is and, but you know have some patience and uh 
stealth. I, I mean, I believe in stealth. So, you know, be quiet. Don't don't rattle chains on gates and slam doors. Yeah. Okay. And overcalling, right? And we all typically want to do that. It, it's typical, you know, to want to overcall. Um, uh, you know, I, to to play. And what I mean by overcalling is when you get to a set is. When you, when you go to calling and you know there's coyotes in the area, don't play every sound in your call and burn their ears up. You know, I typically run, if I'm going to run a distress set, I play a high pitch distress, a low pitch distress. If nothing comes in, I might switch to some interrogation howls or, you know, some long howls. And if I don't get nothing, to answer me, I might run to a pair howl at that time. And then I'm going to close on distress. I mean, a pup fight of some sort. And if I don't get nothing, then I move on. I don't, I don't play every pup fight I have or every distress I have. Um, now granted, everybody's got some of their favorite sounds. So, and, and you know, play what works for you or what you have confidence in. But, um, by no means am I going to sit and play every sound I have. I, I limit my set to, you know, 10 to 15 minutes and I'm gone. That was my next question. How long do you normally limit your sets to? For the Most of my sets are, are, you know, 10 to 15 minutes depending on the situation. Um, I, uh, I kill most of my coyotes in two to seven minutes. And I've killed several in under a minute. Um, the stand, uh, made Thursday. I made three sets Thursday night. I killed a double. I had a blank stand and I had a, uh, you know, called six in on one set and killed five of them. The first set, um, I killed the double at 11 minutes. And then I made the blank set. That was a 10 minute set. And then the very next set, I called the six in. By the time I, Set up, turned my call on, started looking, and was done shooting. It was three minutes and 25 seconds. Wow. So it can happen in a hurry. Yeah. Yep. Um, um, you know, and then, uh, let's see, uh, Friday night, I made a set. I played a, I played a serenade. In a, in a field that had some high grass. I uh, played the serenade. I hit mute when it was done. And the coyote went to screaming at me, mad. And I immediately hit the mute button. I was like, man, dang, I know I hit the mute button. And turned and looked, and they were the coyotes standing there screaming at me 60 yards. Wow. Um, you know, so... Uh, that video can be seen on my Facebook page. Uh, you can see the outcome of that one. Yeah. Now, is there, uh, you always kind of repetitiously start off with a, how, a lone howl, or do you, what do you normally start off with? Because I know a lot of guys, probably myself included, wanted to know, you know, what was your, your start off? Same. Well, it, it goes back to, you know, I don't have nothing set in stone. Um, if, if I'm, if I'm going to start, um, a, a set with vocals. 
I will usually start off with some type of lone howl or an interrogation howl. And I'll let that play its its cycle. And I'll mute my call. And then I'll just go to scan. And I'll look around for two or three minutes. And then I might might start a pair howl or I'll start, start some type of serenade howl. I'll let that play. And sometimes that's it. That's all it takes sometimes. Um, and want to be running down your gun barrel. So, you know, after that plays, if, if coyotes answer me, now that comes back to what they're telling me is how I will respond to them. Um, learning coyote vocals is, you know, it's not something you do overnight. You know, if a, if a coyote answers me with a challenge how and they're mad and Went in the fight, you know, I'll, I'll answer them back with a challenge how. And sometimes that's, that's it. That's all it takes. And then they, they're coming in mad and they want to fight. Uh, now what, what time, how much time do you normally lapse between the calls? So let's just say you made a lone how and, uh, you haven't seen or heard anything and you let things just get quiet and down and all of a sudden you say, well, Let's play. Let's play our next sound. How how long do you like keep in between that that inner? Um, usually I, I I'll have a minute to three minute gap. It, it's just a lot of it just depend on really where I'm at, what's going on. Okay. Um, but but you know that'll run from a minute to three minutes. Okay. In, in, you know, in between my sounds. Okay. And one of the things that I got you you talked to me a while back. When I first started, uh, when I when I howled, they howled, and I thought I was on to something. And that don't always mean they're coming in just because you, they howl back at you, right? No, no, that does not mean they're coming in all the time. Sometimes that's all it takes. Um, you know, I've I've howled at coyotes and had them answer me, and they be within two hundred yards, and you go, "Oh man, I'm fixing I'm fixing to kill one right here." And you don't ever see him. I mean, there's just sometimes he's just not coming. Hmm. You know, my my recommendation, you know, is get closer to him if you can. Eventually, if you can get him inside his comfort zone without getting busted, he'll come. But it's getting in, you know, it's getting inside his comfort zone when you've already got close to him and he's just, he just don't want to come. Yeah. Um, so that's, uh, or, or you might have a coyote answer you and they'd be across a territorial boundary line. Now a territorial boundary line is something that's huge. Um, I've seen coyotes before use a, a, a simple dirt road as a, as a boundary line or a fence line. Um, one night I was calling and had uh, some coyotes answer me across uh, a dirt road, uh, like a four-way. Um, a pack of coyotes answered me on the east side of the dirt road, and some coyotes answered on the west side of the dirt road. Well, both of those packs of coyotes run to the dirt road and was arguing back and forth at the dirt road, and I was right across the four-way and couldn't see them over the hill in another field, so I let things calm down and eased up there and went to the field 
on the east side of the road, you know, made a call, coyotes come back, killed them, went right across the dirt road over there because these coyotes was fired up again and throwed out a challenge how and, well, here these coyotes come, so, and, and killed them. Is that the night you got six? <laughs> uh, no, no, I was, uh, I was actually uh, won the contest uh, that night and actually won that contest. Wow. Well, then do you know these packs had their own little boundaries or is that something you kind of figured out on the fly? No, no. That, I mean, that, that's something you sort of, you'll learn on the fly. And there's certain times of the year they, they will really honor those. And then there's certain times of the year that, that they don't. Hmm. But for the most part, a coyote is very territorial. So what about the guy that doesn't have 50,000 acres to hunt? Uh, guys just got you know, a few 10-acre cow pastures with a set of woods behind it. Um, would you suggest that he sit a little longer since he doesn't have many places he can run to? You know, on, on places like that, I would. Um, I would uh, recommend stay a little longer, you know, but that don't mean call a little longer. You know, it, it make your pauses um, further apart instead of a one or two-minute pause. Give it five or ten minutes and just make a little sound here and there and listen and look. You know, you know, a lot of times those coyotes like that, they'll just come slipping in on you because they come from a long way. That, that's just how it, how they're going to be. Um, you know, when I, when I had very little land, I, I would make 20 or 30-minute sets sometimes. You know, very fortunate. I've been very blessed with land, so I have other places I can go. Right. And, and, and still, I do have some. I do have some places I hunt that I know I need to sit a little longer, just because of how the terrain lays out. But in my big agriculture fields, where you know you're sitting in a continuous field that's two thousand acres, and it's just got a little dry corner of a pivot that might hold coyotes or you're hunting the corners of these fields, you know, you can see well over a thousand yards. You know, sometimes I, I don't, I don't sit very long with them because if there's anything coming, I can see. So I might move, you know, I might move a thousand yards. Okay. And four. Um, what was that, uh, the name of your Facebook page that you published a lot of these videos of your, through your thermal replay? Um, it will be Florida Predator Hunters is, is the group, and then my, uh, I have my Saplings in the Dark um, page also. Gotcha. And you guys can go on Facebook and find, you know, check him out on any one of those two. Uh, he usually mostly posts all the videos. Uh, he's got a thermal, but he had it night vision too. I think some of those are still up, right, when you had night vision? <laughs> all, all, all my night vision uh, videos are still up. Um now, uh, me and my wife, we both run thermal now, so the night vision's out. Right, right. So you, I, I'm taking it you prefer thermal over night vision? Uh, I, absolutely, I, I do. Yeah, okay. Uh, do, would you still ever come into a situation you regretted and not wish you did have uh, night vision, or no? Um, no, I don't, personally. Um, you know, some people do because... Some people like uh, the night vision. I have a friend that prefers night vision over thermal because he likes the clarity of knowing he is, um, of being sure of himself. 
on on um, what he's shooting. I, I'm always very sure what I shoot. I mean, I study, you know, the way a coyote moves a lot. Um, so, and, and you have a good picture through a thermal, and I can identify a coyote at times with the weather right, a long ways on a thermal, but you're mainly always looking at the way he moves. I mean, a coyote, once you look at so many of them, he has a certain way he moves. And just like when I used to hunt with light, Coyote's eyes look different than everything else's. So, you know, when I hit a coyote's eyes with a red light, I know that's a coyote. Yep. Are you still scanning now with the red light, or you just strictly look no. through the thermal all night long? No, I, I look through a thermal. I mean, when I'm driving in and out of places, I, my headlights are off, and I, I still run my red lights while I'm, while I'm driving. You know, just scanning with a headlight, driving down the road or driving into a pasture, and and I keep all the lights off of my vehicles, my interior lights. So, I, uh, you know, that's just part of being stealthy. And to me, that makes a difference. Then I, then I have a question because I've tried looking through the thermal for like five or six solid minutes, man. It seems like it makes me go cross-eyed. I mean, how, how, are your, how do you get your eyes to adjust just staring through the thermal all night long? Well, one is, to, you know, you got to make yourself do it. I keep my screen, my screen brightness down very low in my thermal so you know that helps out a lot and then sometimes you just got to pull your head away from it and look um i have a thermal scanner and i have a uh, in my scope and sometimes i scan with my scanner and then sometimes i just get on my gun and you know use use my gun to scan on my tripod got you got you and your wife is scanning too so kind of like you guys can switch off a little bit right Uh, i mean absolutely and we always scanning together um you know, she, she's a very big asset to me. Um, been blessed with a wife that, that loves the coyote. I think she likes it more than I do. So. <laughs> yeah. The, the only the only downfall to it is when when you build guns by thermals, you got to do everything in twos. Yeah, that's perfectly <laughs> right. Ten four. All right, man. Well, I'm going to go ahead and uh, sign off, uh, and uh, we appreciate you uh, talking with us tonight. And uh, We'll do this again because you can't cover everything on coyote hunting in 25 minutes one night. So Absolutely. Yep. Rob, I appreciate you having me on. All right, buddy. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. See you, man. All right. See you.